Rob on the on the school committee. So, which was absolutely my pleasure. He was a really special man, and uh, very very fortunate to have worked with him on the school committee and for a short while on the FinCom. I'm glad you're taking that time to remember him tonight, Cindy. Thank you. And so then I think um, before we start in again, I want to take a couple of minutes to just go through and do some uh, very brief introductions. Welcome, Maureen. We are thrilled to have you joining us as our newest member of the FinCom. Uh, maybe you just want to take a minute to introduce yourself and then we'll just kind of go around the room. Folks could just say hello, your name, and, um, and then we'll jump into the agenda for this evening. Hi, um, my name is Mari Manconi. And as Ruki said, she is one of my friends and had asked if I would like to join the FinCon uh, committee. Um, I am have lived in Canton for 25 years. I raised my four children here. I am currently the finance manager for a nonprofit in South Boston. Um, I maintain 165 units of housing, uh, affordable housing for elderly and veterans and um, other people who otherwise be um, not able to live in the city any longer due to the rising costs. Um, and I think that's about it. Welcome, Maureen. Welcome, we're thrilled to have you. So um, I'm Cindy Thomas and I am for this year, the chair for the FinCom and um, uh, excited to have you. And I'll go on over to Randy and then maybe you can just kind of loop us around to the next person. Sure. sure. Uh, Welcome, Maureen. Randy Scollins, finance director uh, for the town. Uh, thrilled to have um, another new member here. Please feel free to use me as a resource should you have any you know, questions about the you know, process or anything that we work on here that, that I'm, I'm involved with, which is mostly all the finance stuff. So um, consider me a, a resource so you're not out there uh, on your own. Plus, you've got a great group of colleagues here, too, uh, as you. well. Right. Uh, Dan. Hi, Maureen. I'm Dan Gold. I also lived in Canton for a little over 20 years. Uh, two kids went through the, the school systems. I'm, I'm retired and uh, glad to meet you and have you on board. Thank you. Karen. How about Karen? <laughs> or, uh, welcome, Maureen. I'm Karen Foley. Um, I think I'm the second newest member other than you. I've been on uh, been calm for um, one year and still consider myself a rookie. So uh, I'm glad I'm no longer the the, the most experienced. <laughs> well, well, we'll be looking for one more member. So there'll okay. be somebody, you'll, you'll have more seniority at some point, Marie. <laughs> Amelia? Uh, hi, I'm Emilio Maro, and um, I'm vice chair of the finance committee. And um, I also serve in town on the, as chair of the master plan implementation committee and vice chair of the economic development committee. Um, lived in Canton for sev about seven years. Tim? Hi, Maureen. Welcome. Uh, Tim McKenna. I've been on the committee for several years i've kind of lost track of how many at this point but um it's a great great experience welcome you and uh looking forward to working with you thank you and dave hi, <clears throat> excuse me hi maureen um welcome aboard it's nice to meet you and i look forward to working on the finance committee with you 
Thank you. And I know you already know Ruki, so um, I'm not necessarily going to go through introductions with all of our guests. I think they'll introduce ourselves, but I wanted to make sure as we go along, but I wanted to make sure that all of our committee members that we had a chance to do an appropriate and welcoming greeting. So um, with that, I'm going to turn us over to um, Randy to introduce our auditors and just remind the committee that we made a, um, we uh, last year, at towards the end of the year, we met with the auditors, but we talked about um, having them come back more like the end of January um, this year in order to um, update us on the auditor's report. Um, and so here we are. So Randy, I'll turn it over to you. Fantastic. Uh, it is my pleasure to introduce to the group um, Tony Roselli and Paul Gargano, uh, partners with Roselli and Clark Associates, the town of Canton's uh, auditors, um, and uh, they've finished um, the FY22 um, audit, and uh, it was a great piece of work. Also been submitted uh, for um, recognition by the Government Finance Office Association for excellence in reporting. Um, and with that, I will turn it over to Tony and Paul. Sorry, I was on mute. Well, uh, my name's Tony Roselli. For the new members who don't know me, I think we were here just four short months ago. So most of you probably do know me except for Maureen. So hi, Maureen, welcome aboard. Um, we just finished uh, the audit uh, just before December. There is a December 31 deadline uh, when the town does the um, an annual comprehensive financial report, which is a more advanced form of reporting. Um, usually uh, uh, most towns do a just a basic financial statement, which has a March 31 deadline. Canton has chosen to go to the higher level of reporting. The report is submitted to the Government Finance Officers Association where it's graded. And if the grade passes, you get a, a certificate. I think Randy, what have we, uh, Canton gotten the certificate for? Is it 16 or 15 That's or 16? Correct. Yeah, 16 years in a row. Straight years. So it's great because you've had some turnover in that time. In that time, uh, you've had different faces. So what that tells me is the policies that are in, that are in place are, are very good. They're very transparent, so that when faces do change, they're able to step right in and transition very seamlessly very into seamless. the new organization, which isn't always the case uh, in municipal government. So. Um, so, so it's very nice to see. Um, I, I was happy when uh, when Randy uh, was uh, appointed finance director. He came from a very uh, a very another very well managed town uh, close by. So I I thought the town would be in in good hands, and um, and Randy's assistant Kathy has been uh, fantastic. Uh, reconciles everything. If it doesn't reconcile, she's on the department's. Uh, uh, but, you know, banging the door down, why doesn't this reconcile? So she's very good. And this whole process was started by Jim Mercer. Uh, let's not forget to mention Jim, who's probably in Florida right now enjoying the uh, the warm weather. Uh, but Jim laid the foundation um, for what's really turned out to be a, a great financial situation for Canton. And we'll get into the details in a second. But your fund balances have increased every year. You got a AAA bond rating about 12 years ago. You've maintained it. And like I said, this is the 16th straight year you've prepared an advanced report. So from a financial perspective, everything's trending 
the way it should be on a scale of one to 10. If not a 10, you're at a 9.8. So everything is just trending uh, exactly how it should. And, uh, and the outside agencies have recognized that by, uh, by giving you the awards and giving you the AAA bond rating. So, um, so Randy, we can get started with the presentation. Um, so like I said, uh, Tony, I'm Tony Roselli. I'm a partner with the firm. Paul Gargano is also on this. So we're going to kind of split it up. I'm going to go through a financial uh, highlight type of thing. And then Paul will get into um, some of the uh, observations and findings as part of the review. Um, so we'll talk about economic trends. We'll talk about the bond rating a little bit, uh, the findings and recommendations. I put questions at the bottom of this slide, but feel free to ask questions as we go. Um, I think there'll be some interesting topics that will come up tonight that you might want to um, talk about a little further as we're talking about them. Okay, next. Okay, so for the new members, I like to just go through this and those who have been here on the FinCon for 16 years know this slide. Um, you know, what is an audit? Okay, an audit basically is going into the financial records and doing a basically a sample of each major transaction type. We assess risk, we determine if the risk is tolerable, and then we test the transactions to determine if our, our uh, initial assessment is accurate. Um, it's, it's, we perform it in accordance with GAGIS, which is the yellow book. The yellow book is the Government Auditing Association. And uh, they write all the rules in Washington. We have to follow those rules when we do a government audit, which Canton is. Um, we're doing, like I said, the internal control over the major transactions, which are receipts, disbursements, and payroll. Those are your three major transactions. We do a lot of sampling in those areas. Um, requires risk assessment in those areas. And then if you receive more than $750,000 and spend that, you have to have what's called a federal audit, which is under the single audit. So there's a there's a separate report that we do called the federal audit, uh, single audit reporting compliance. That goes right to Washington, and they determine if you're spending your grants the way you should be spending your grants. And if you're not, we would have a finding and say, hey, this is a finding. Shouldn't have done this. Shouldn't have done this. And uh, and then the feds will decide if they want to keep funding that grant or not. Um, we haven't had many, uh, many significant deficiencies. In fact, I don't think we've ever had significant deficiencies or material weaknesses in that area. So I don't see the town be it at any risk on the federal side. Um, lastly, we issue a clean opinion versus a qualified opinion. Qualified opinion means that management did something that we disagree with. Either they uh, decided to do accounting that's not in accordance with the accounting rules or they disagreed with a standard that we believe should be performed that they did not believe should be performed. So if we don't have any of those issues, we issue a clean opinion, which Canton did get a clean opinion uh, for the you know, umpteenth straight year. Uh, SAS 115 is an, an additional report that we have to issue if there are material weaknesses and significant deficiencies of which there were none. Um, and lastly, I'd like to mention that a lot of people, you know, something happens and there's a little bit of um, someone tries to take some money out of one of the departments, um, a few hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, they're skimming off the top before they turn in receipts. Our audit's not going to catch that unless it's caught somehow in our sample. We don't look, look for that. 
we look to make sure the controls are good to prevent things like that. But we're never going to catch a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars on a multi, multi uh, million dollar uh, entity. So when these things happen and they, an individual gets caught and it hits the paper and someone says, hey, how come the auditors don't look at that? That's not the purpose of this audit. It's not a forensic audit. It's, it's what I've described, but it's not a forensic audit. Now, if the town believes there are irregularities in the, uh, in the town itself, in different departments, they can increase the scope and say, hey, can, you, can the audit firm go do additional procedures, forensic procedures in a particular area? Then you might catch you know, something like building department or town clerk or, or something like that where they're going to um, possibly skim off the top. But that's not the purpose of this audit. Randy? Um, I was just going to say uh, in my prior community, uh, we did have a couple of departments where we did make that recommendation to our auditors uh, to check and, and, and see, uh, particularly about cash management, which they did and gave, came back with thorough reports. Uh, one case was criminal charges. Uh, the good news here is in Canton, um, obviously I, I have to have my eyes and the town accountant has to have her eyes on everything. Um, I don't have any such suspicions here, but I'm always uh, alert as is uh, the town accountant. So uh, I feel good about uh, the staff that, that we have here in the town. Yeah, the, uh, the finance offices do a great job of, uh, like I said, reconciling and making sure that um, uh, cash is turned over timely and making sure that the controls are proper in the departments and uh, just getting cash out of those um, hands and into the uh, town's coffers as quickly as uh, possible. So, um, and in our process, I, we really don't see areas that pose a substantial risk. Okay, next slide. All right, this is the, this is the nice uh, slide that I was talking about earlier where the reserve balances um, continue to go up. They've started to stabilize a little bit here in 21 and 22, uh, much more of a steeper curve back in the mid-teens. Um, I chose 2009 because that was right after the great, uh, great recession of 2008, um, where things actually went down for a few years. So I said, let me pick the bottom and show a, a trend of where the town has gone since the bottom. And um, it, it's, it's, it's gone up by some, some years moderately, some years a lot, depending on, uh, depending on how well uh, of a year you have and if there's some unforeseen things or if things are, are basically chugging along and your, your development is good and your receipts are coming in very well. And, and the, this is part of the reason why you maintain your AAA. Um, the, uh, the rating agencies love to see this consistency, um, these increases, and um, it, it's, a, it's a very good trend to have. And, and you are starting to stabilize a little bit, which is also good, you know, stabilizing. You don't want to keep going up and having 100 million in reserves because then someone says, hey, what's happening? Um, so, um, so unless there's any questions on this slide, we can move to the next one. Just wanted to throw out where the reserve ratios are at and what the rate your particular rating agency looks at. They look for a reserve ratio above 15%. And by reserve ratio, that's the definition of your reserves, which are your undesignated in your general fund, plus your stabilization funds. That, that's what constitutes your reserves. You divide that by your expenses. And when we do that, 
Canton, I believe, is a little bit over 20%, maybe 21%, 22%, somewhere in that range. And the metric that the Standard & Poor's looks for is 15%. Uh, the state average is about 10%, so you're well above the state average. And the low-end metric, which you want to avoid, because then you start getting into some junk rating bonds, is, uh, is down in the 4% area. You want to definitely avoid that. Randy? I, I just wanted to, to comment that um, being above 15%, which is where the town uh, does not want to go below, um, allows the town to use the excess reserves uh, to address uh, one-time priorities, you know, as determined by policymakers that are brought forward. So, um, so that's where you see items funded from free cash, say, a uh, uh, deposit into capital stabilization or the Sped Reserve or things like that. So, um, or to fund a capital project that uh, is doesn't fit within the capital budget. So that's what those um, excess reserves allow the town to do annually. So we we start the year with a uh, you know having overachieved um, on on the metric, um, and then that gives policymakers opportunity to um, consider some uh, some spending uh, priorities. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's a great comment. So those reserves, uh, the amount above the 15% is, is cushion. It stabilizes things in case you do want to um, spend from, say, free cash for capital improvement instead of borrowing. Um, if you have a huge snow emergency, um, it gives you that latitude to spend a little bit and still stay above the metric that the S&P requires. So um so that's a good thing to, that's a good position to be in. Uh, next slide. Okay, so this kind of just repeats uh, in a summary format. What we've just said, the financial trends remain strong. Uh, your revenues beat forecast by 3.5 million. Uh, your expenditures beat budget by 2.6 million. So you had a budget beat of uh, six, uh, that's 6.1 million. Uh, you stayed above the 15%. Uh, your metrics are well above the state averages. And you continue to be reward, rewarded with the AAA. And it places Canton in the top 10% of communities with, with respect to investment appeal. And by investment appeal, that those are folks that will buy your bonds when you issue them, issue them for projects. Um, you have investors that come in and buy those. And they look at your financial statements. They make sure that you're uh, solvent, that you're able to pay your debt, that you're able to pay back your bondholders. And, uh, and Canton has a very attractive uh, uh, bond portfolio. I see a question, uh, Emilio. Um, a question regarding, uh, thanks uh, for the presentation, uh, a, a question about the previous two slides regarding the reserve balance and the ratio, uh, uh, reserve ratio. Um, obviously, this is a good uh, position for Canton to be in, having the 20 plus percent reserve ratio and the high um, reserve balance. Um, from your experience in cases where there is a higher reserve ratio, we obviously always hear about the 15% floor to stay above. Are there any type of pitfalls or cases where we have to be careful with high reserve ratios or high reserve funds? I know you were mentioning if we went unusually high, like the 100,000 you were mentioning on well, the 100 million rather on the reserve balance. Is there anything we should just be mindful of as to what bond ratings or other things may affect audits if we're high on that, that we need to just avoid? 
Uh, well, bond ratings will let you, the bond rating agency will, will let you go as high as you want. Um, I, I, I think Cambridge has about $200 million in reserves. Uh, and I think Nantucket, which I just did, has close to 60 or 70 million in reserves. So they'll let you go as high as you want. Um, and to me, um, you've got liabilities, which we'll talk about later, that really aren't on your balance sheet. You've got OPEP, which is an 80, I think this year is over $90 million. It's a, it's a liability. It's real. It's out there. And uh, so having um, these reserves and continue to, continuing to build on them is not a negative thing. Your pension liability will be paid off through your statutory assessment. But your OPEB liability, which is optional right now, the state doesn't have a statutory requirement to fund your OPEB liability. And OPEB is your other other employ, other post-employment benefits for those who are new uh, to this terminology. Those are monies that you owe your employees when they retire for life insurance, health insurance. The town pays a portion of that as a, as a benefit to working for the town of Canton. That liability is created as these employees work for the town. You have every year you have an actuary come in and measure that liability. And like I said, it's about 90, 90 plus million right now. When we get to that slide, we'll talk a little bit deeper about it. So when you have these reserves, but your offsets, when the folks are saying, hey, the reserves are too high, the reserves are too high, they're really never too high until your liabilities are satisfied, which is going to be a long time. So um, so I don't see any pitfalls at all of having a uh, a high, you know, high reserve. Uh, other than maybe some of your constituents saying, hey, you know, what, 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 you know, what's going on with these high reserves. But again, the fallback position is there's a lot. The town does have a, a, some high liabilities uh, on the back end. And they are future liabilities. They're nothing that's going to risk the town in the near term. Right. Great. Thanks. OK, I think we're unless there's any other questions. Oh, Randy. I just wanted to say you had mentioned about being rewarded in the bond market uh, for this type of performance. And I just want to let the group know that on Monday, uh, we sold $11.9 million worth of bonds. We got 11 bids. And uh, the rate that we got was 3.07, uh, which was substantially lower than what I was anticipating in this particular market. I thought would be up at 3.75 or to 4. So it was very active. Uh, 3.07. So uh, that again, is, as um, Tony says, that, that's a reflection of what um, the outside financial community uh, thinks about the town's finances. That's a great rate. And um, I thank you for bringing that up because that's exactly what I was pointing to in terms of the town being attractive to outside investors. The more attractive you are, the, the more aggressive the bids are and the better rates you get. So, um, so even though bids are trending higher in this, um, particular market, I think that's an outstanding rate that you got. That's outstanding. Okay, we can go to the next slide. Okay, here are the long-term obligations that I was speaking to, uh, Emilio. Um, the two big ones, your debt is on the books, so you can measure that. It's tangible, it's built into your annual budget, you have an annual payback, uh, usually 15 or 20 years, uh, maybe longer on some of the water projects. But these are the liabilities that kind of hide out there. They're stealth. You don't really see them, but they're liabilities. Uh, the pension is a liability. You owe, you owe your employees a pension when they retire. Uh, you accepted the provisions of Chapter 30B, 
and you uh, became a pensioner and you owe your employees a pension when they retire. They get a, a monthly check. And guess what? Good news for us old folks is the life expectancy tables are increasing. So us old folks can expect to live a lot longer than back when the pension laws were created back in the 1940s and 50s. The expected life life expectancy was, I think, about 65 or 66 years old. So if you retired at 62, the town was on the hook for four years. Well, now the town's on the hook for nearly 30 years in a lot of situations. So that mean, that causes that liability to go up. It wasn't designed for all these employees to reach 90 years old, which is what's happening. And um, it's um, so it seems like we're always chasing it. When the law first came out, you were supposed to fund this by, I think, 2020. Then it got extended to 2030. Now it's 2040. And it probably will get extended again. Uh, Middle Norfolk, Norfolk County, uh, which is what you're part of is doing a very nice job, but some of the other counties are, are way behind on the funding. So the state may recognize it and say, hey, let's go to 2050. I hope they don't. I hope they really force this issue to be uh, funded. But uh, but right now your unfunded liability is 27.8 million. It's a decrease of 10.6 million over the prior year. Uh, that was mainly due to the tremendous market performance in 2021. Uh, when you get your 22 results, I'm expecting that liability to go back up a little bit because 22 hasn't been as kind to us as uh, as uh, calendar 21 was. Um, the good news is you're at almost 80% funded. And when you compare that to the state average of 70%, uh, the county is well, well above the, um, the, uh, the state average. And you're using some fairly, Norfolk uses some fairly aggressive uh, assumptions. So I think it's a conservative uh, conservative amount. But that number is getting lower and lower. And, and what happens is as that number gets lower, you can start to shift. When that gets, gets to zero, you can shift the amounts to your OPEB, which is the next topic. Your OPEB is 96.7 million. That went up 9.8 million. Um, now, OPEB is measured on June 30th, whereas the pension is measured on December 30, 31st. June 30th was the lowest the market has been this year. The middle of June was as low as it's been. So I think the market has actually gone up. So in, with respect to OPEB, when you get your next one, you're probably going to see an increase. With respect to pension, you'll probably see a decrease. Uh, they seem to even each other out. Um, now, your investment loss was $1.5 That's the highest ever. The good news is you still have over a million in aggregate investment income since you started funding the OPEB. So a lot of folks say, hey, we're going to fund this and lose all our money. You're still ahead $1 million uh, versus keeping it in a savings bank that, that really didn't earn too much, uh, too much money. So um, the plan assets uh, decreased from 9.1 to 8.6. But this is an area as you folks go through your... Um, strategy, your long-term goals. It's really an area that you, you should start to look at over the next few years and say, hey, how do we chip away at that? What do we do? How do we make it better for the next group that comes in? Because we'll be gone when this is a real problem. We'll all, most of us, there's a lot of young faces here, but I know me and Randy will be gone. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so it's nice to give the new folks, um, you know, um, the old folks gave us the pension problem. 
they dropped that on our lap because they didn't take care of the pension back in the 80s and 90s. And that got dropped on our lap. So we've been dealing with that for years. It would be nice to give the new folks that come in behind us not the same problem with OPEB. Uh, questions? <clears throat> Lurandy? I was just going to mention um, that uh, assuming Norfolk County hits their target date of being fully funded by 2029, um, in 2030, uh, my calculations show that uh, our pension assessment will drop by about $7 million at that point in time. And so we've uh, instructed our um, actuary for the OPEB liability to incorporate that savings into the funding uh, beginning of the OPEB liability beginning in 2030. So the goal is, is in essence, fully funded in the pension by 2030, fully funded in OPEB by 2040, all things being equal, of course. But that, that's the goal. Um, of course, there, that's a policy decision uh, to direct that, that, uh, those kinds of funds there. Uh, but it's certainly my recommendation and, and uh, what some of my other colleagues are, are talking about doing as well so we can catch up on the OPEB. Great. And that, that's what a lot of towns are doing. That's how they're solving uh, or, or attempting to solve their OPEB problem. They're taking the pension windfall, which will exist um, the year after you're fully funded. And, uh, and then... And then if for some reason the pension drops back below, you can always shift it back to the, uh, to the pension because you could have a, a, a bad market year. If you're just barely over hundred, you're at 102, you could drop to 97 or 98 pretty quickly. Now you you've got that flexibility to shift back because the OPEB monies are not statutorily required. Any questions on these uh, long-term obligations? Okay, we can go to the next slide. Okay, real quick on ARPER, um, the award was about 7 million, uh, 2.5, it was direct to the town. You can spend that on any municipal purpose, essentially. Uh, so this is an additional reserve that's not even in the reserves we were talking about. This is kind of out there for the town to use. And I, I recommend you use it on capital and one-time items, just like you would use free cash. Some towns are making the mistake of budgeting school salaries and, and police and fire. And that's a hole you don't want to go down to because you're going to create a, bud, a structural budget uh, issue uh, in a few years when you no longer have the funds. So, um, so um, yeah, remove any desire to do that if you can. Um, so uh, through June 30 of 22, about 70,000 of this amount had been spent. So the bulk of it is still left. 4.5 million passes through Norfolk County. Uh, and this is where it gets a little quirky because you got extra reporting to do. A lot of it is being turned back because it's not exactly how Norfolk County wants it. And the last time I was here, I had recommended uh, looking for an ARPA specialist to kind of assist with this process because it can monopolize a lot of time if you're trying to do it on your own. And, and many communities have gone and appointed uh, consultants to do this. Um, don't know if there is any questions on ARPA or any comments. We, I appreciated the, the recommendation. Tony, um, uh, Matt Sarugu from KP Law uh, is proven to be fantastic uh, with some difficult applications. So he's, he's definitely helping us get through uh, uh, some, some difficult um, applications with the county. So I appreciate that referral. 
Nice. Yeah, yeah, Matt's great. And uh, it, it just takes away the interpretation from you folks and, and, and puts it into the legal hands, and which, which I think is where it should be. All right. Oh, we got a couple of questions, Tim. Uh, Tim? Yeah, thanks, Tony. And um, I guess to Tony or Randy, on the, the 2.5 million direct to the town, so has that, those funds have been received, is that correct? Yes, uh, those funds have all been received and the select board has actually uh, voted all of that uh, to uh, 10 different projects. Um, and those projects are in various uh, stages um, of, of completion. Okay. And, and the, the process, you there's, so there's a process with Norfolk County on the 4.5 million where we have to um, document and get approval for that. Right. It's, uh, it, we have to shoehorn the, um, the projects into very specific categories requiring uh, all kinds of different uh, documentation. Um, and again, the, the select board has authorized all of the funds uh, or just about all of the funds uh, for you know uh, uh, ten more projects um, that we are slogging through with the county to get them approved. They've approved um, two to date, uh, three hundred fifty thousand dollars for some sewer SCADA uh, work, one point one million dollars for the um, uh, the the PFAS uh, carbon filtering at the Moran Water Treatment Facility. Right now we're um, wrestling with a $400,000 request for museum design services. I think once we get that one through, um, we should be able to break the log jam on the next seven or eight that uh, shouldn't be as challenging. Um, but we, we still have about you know, one, one or two more that'll be a little bit of a challenge given the rules. Okay, Randy, final question. The 70,000 that had been spent, was that, was that part of the direct to town piece or? Yeah, the, um, the select board had authorized uh, uh, spending by the health department um, on uh, some supplemental um, staffing hours when, you know, we were still in the, um, they were still weathering the um, impacts of, of COVID. Um, so th there was that. And then when the state um, stopped their uh, contact tracing, um, uh, the health director, Barbara Reed, Reed was uh um, up, you know, was very uh, aggressive in saying, well, we want to continue that for a little bit longer. And so the select board gave funds for that. Um, and then uh, the other initial funds were for the sewer SCADA project. Since then, we've, um, uh, we've spent more, more than that, like in the last, uh, last six or seven months, but, but we're, uh, we're starting to, um, the projects are starting to move forward. Thanks, Randy. Amelia? Uh, just a question regarding the um, the deadlines for ARPA is uh, is it just to confirm is it that they need to be these funds need to be allocated by the end of 2024 and spent by 26? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And is that fiscal years or are they specific dates in those years? The calendar, calendar years. Calendar years. Okay. Thanks. Okay, if there's no other questions, we can go to the next slide. Did we did we miss informational items or is that next? Go back before ARPA. Okay, did I miss something? Um, maybe, oh, 
Okay, there was a couple of informational items. I may have forgot to um, include it, and then I'll have Paul talk about assessors. Um, but the, the the one important one, there's there's one that I put in every year, and that's the um, that's the network security. Uh, I, I can't overemphasize. Uh, I've had it in five or six straight management letters in towns, and they still get hit by some sort of a security breach, some sort of a, a hack, some sort of a someone clicks on a, an email incorrectly. So I can't overemphasize enough to just provide training to everyone and do it periodically, make sure they're changing passwords, force them to change passwords, make sure they're not falling for the phishing scams. Our office is getting hit. My secretary uh, has been sending me emails because that someone's cloned my email, sent it to my secretary and says, can you go buy these Home Depot gift certificates and send it to these people? And my secretary immediately said, well, Tony is, doesn't send gifts to anyone. So I know this can't be, <laughs> I know this can't be accurate. So she'll send it to me and say, is this you? And, but, but she's trained and it's exactly my email. They cloned it. So look for um, just people should be look for things that are unusual, that the language isn't, isn't well. If it says blessed at the end, it's not, it's not a real email. And, um, I had our IT department look at some of ours and, um, they were originated in India, I think one in Russia. So they originated in other places and they're very clever and they, and, and I get them all the time from like bank of America. If you don't respond to this in six hours, your account will be shut down. And it looks so real. And I'll wait, I'll say I'll wait. And then when the six hours is up, I'll try to log into my account. And if I can log in, I'll know that that was fake. Um, but it's um, it's scary out there. And unfortunately, the towns get embarrassed when it ends up in the newspaper that they're locked out and the, the perpetrator is asking for two or $3 million in, in internet money uh, to unlock you. And uh, it's, it really gets embarrassing. So I can't overemphasize that enough um, on the security side. Uh, the second item I wanted to talk about, and then we can take some questions on those two items, is, um, is with what the FOMC is doing, they are trying to tame inflation by increasing interest rates. So that's been going on for about the last nine to 10 months. And they basically brought rates that were one to 2% on your borrowings. I mean, you got a great rate today, but some towns are getting four or 5% on their borrowings. So they've really kind of, you know, had a, uh, a drastic impact on, on borrowing. Um, the good news is that while your borrowing rates are going up, the investment side also goes up. So your investment income is going up. So it's it's bringing in some really unique opportunities. Uh, for example, um, the um, the T-bills, as long as you keep them under 12 months, a town can invest legally in T-bills that are less than 12 months, in le or 12 or less months. The 12-month T-bill right now is generating about 4.8% interest. So if you have a million dollars in excess funds and you're earning 4.8%, that's $48,000. So what I'm telling towns to do is make sure you're doing your cash forecast, which I know Randy's doing, figure out what your cash needs are and try to determine what your excess cash is. And then maybe get together with, do you use Bartholomew, I think, um, 
as your uh, financial people, get together with Bartholomew and say, hey, should we be doing, I had one town just do a three, six, and 12 month. They did three T-bills, so they ladded it, not to get too caught up in the T-bill in case they ever needed it. They didn't, because you're locked. Once you're in a T-bill, you're locked. Um, so you got to make sure you don't need the money. Otherwise, when you take it out, the market might have fluctuated on you and you could take a loss. Uh, but they're safe. Um, they're backed by the U.S. government. Um, there's no 250000 limit like the savings accounts. So it's basically the safest investment on the planet. And, um, and the other ones are the MMDT, which are, I think those have snuck up to 4.4, 4.5%. That's a state. Yep. Uh, very similar to the T-bills, only it's a state type um, vehicle. So those are the types of things that I'm alerting my towns to, to look at. I think you guys are probably ahead of that curve, but I always bring it up because I get some towns that say, what? I can do this. I can do that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I, glad I spoke up. So, um, so Randy, you probably want to comment on this, but that's an important topic. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I would say even to folks privately, um, treasury bills is a, is a great way to go um, for, uh, you know, my uh, mom's estate uh, put everything in T-bills, uh, you know, from up to 12 month, um, 12 month terms, uh, because the rates are just phenomenal. No bank can can touch it um, on the municipal side. Uh, we're constantly um, shifting our funds uh, to um, the higher yielding uh, banks. So we're, we gravitate towards 4.0 and um, the MMDT is, is 4.54. Um, so that's where we, we keep the majority of our, of our funds. Um, and we, we try to stay away from those that aren't, aren't as competitive. And yes, we've met with uh, Bartholomew recently to uh, refine our, um, our, uh, our trust portfolio uh, to you know, ensure that we're um, leveraging um, you know, the, the treasury bill opportunity as well. So we're, we're um, uh, trying to maximize yield uh, best we can. Okay. Any yeah. questions on anything I've talked about so far before I turn it over to Paul to talk about this final uh, comment? If I knew there was one comment on the findings, I would have told Paul to, to stay home, <laughs> which he probably is home. Uh, but if there's no questions, Paul, you can jump in and talk about um, the assessors. Uh, great, thanks, Tony. And no, I'm 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 still in the office. <laughs> I'm home yet. Um, all right. So the the only comment we had was regarding the assessor's overlay account. Um, for those of you that may not be familiar, that's the account uh, where the town sets aside money for unpaid or for potential abatements on unpaid real estate and personal property tax bills, and also any paid bills that may be appealed with the appellate tax board. So any residential or commercial taxpayer, if they're not um, satisfied with the valuation, can appeal to the ATB and potentially qualify for a further abatement uh, from the town. Um, that reserve at the end of the year was over $6 million. Um, the conservative estimate for the financial statements uh, was about $3 million, uh, the conservative estimate of the potential for abatements. Um, and ultimately, the amount the town will pay out in abatements will most likely be much lower than that $3 million. It's a conservative estimate. Um, so there does appear to be a surplus in that account of a minimum of $3 million. 
Um, so we're recommending that uh, the assessors and the finance team, you know, review that account, see if there's a surplus that they feel comfortable releasing. Um, and once that happens, it's basically a source of funds similar to free cash uh, where the town can either appropriate it. And again, similar to the discussions we've had earlier, should only be used as one time on one time items or put directly into um, other reserves like stabilization fund or, you know, maybe put towards the OPEB. Um, or the town can just choose to let the surplus flow into free cash and it becomes free cash. Um, so again, you know, as auditors, we want you to be conservative. Um, you know, however, you know, $6 million is, is, is pretty high uh, for a community this size. So we do recommend that that account just be reviewed to see, see what could be released as a potential surplus. And that's all we had for findings and recommendations this year. Is there any questions? Okay, that's all I had. Well, thank you very much. And we really appreciate you coming um, early this year. I think it uh, sets us up well for as we kind of go into our budget season and, you know, particularly conversations like the assessor's overlay account, um, you know, helps us as we start to work with different departments and um, other elected officials around, um, you know, plans for uh, work to be happening in this in this next year and per, as we prepare for town meetings. So I think this timing was helpful, um, sort of sets us up well for, for budget season. So thank you. It was our You're pleasure welcome. and uh, nice seeing everyone. And uh, I feel like, like I said, I feel like I saw you saw you last night. I think we were here in <laughs> September, but uh, now it's going to be 12 months because I think we'll do this every uh, every January. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I think we talked about a lot of good things like the in extra investment income that could be happening, mm -hmm. um, the assessors overlay, some of the opera stuff. So I think all this is good information for you to have as you plan fiscal 24. So, um, so glad to help. And uh, if anyone needs any further uh, guidance or anything, just go through Randy. And uh, generally, I, I will return an email or a phone call within 24 hours. Thank you. Thanks. And I also want to acknowledge Randy and all of the folks in the finance department, because, you know, it is the um, high quality work that gets done there. The checks and balances, the, you know, the, the, the professionalism that goes on um, that allows us to have be in such good standing in terms of our financial practices. So um, thank you, Randy, and please convey those thanks to um, the rest of the team in the uh, accounting and finance office. Absolutely. It's the, the teamwork that makes the dream work. And uh, Paul and Tony are, are clearly part of that as well. So thank you, gentlemen, uh, for everything and for tonight. Great. Thanks. Have a thank great you. night. Thank you. Um, before we move on to our next agenda item, I have an omission. I was looking at the pictures in the boxes on front of my screen and neglected to introduce Ellen Jones, um, Maureen. Um, Ellen is a really critical and important part of our team here on the Finance Committee. She makes sure we have all of the things that we need. Um, I suddenly had a book magically disappear at my, appear at my door this past week. Um, I know that that was <laughs> with her assistance. Um, so um, Maureen, I want to make sure you meet Ellen. She's also a great source of information. I find, um, you know, her level of um, sort of institutional knowledge, if you will, around a lot of things that have gone on in the past has been incredibly helpful. So uh, Maureen and Ellen. <laughs> so, right. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, Thank I couldn't, you very much. I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for Ellen. So I'm, yeah. I'm most appreciative that she's uh, on our team. Yeah. So, so sorry for Thank that you. omission. Um, no problem. <laughs> the next item on our agenda, I'm going to turn over to Randy, and that is a discussion of um, the uh, summary review of the FY24 um, operating budget request on the municipal side. So. Right. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm and we should have, um, everyone should have received, there was a uh, one-page summary document to um, support this part of our discussion. Uh, so, uh, Thank you very much, Cindy. So the first thing I just wanted to very briefly uh, update the group on is our budget milestone calendar. So uh, we started in September and uh, four months later, we are halfway through um, uh, the budget calendar. So we've got four months to go and, and we will wrap up our work um, within about the next three months. Uh, and then that'll culminate in, in, in town meeting, a town meeting in just under four. So um, where we are right now in that process is um, the uh, Capital Committee uh, has uh, all of the capital requests. They just uh, started to post their meetings to review with department heads. That starts next Monday. Um, uh, the, the FinCom here, you have all of the uh, first round uh, budget requests uh, from, uh, from all the, the town departments. Um, and we'll start to cycle in department heads for your review uh, and what's happening internally right now here uh, in the January timeframe is the town administrator and I are uh, proceeding through internal reviews uh, of the budget requests um, and then uh, they will also uh, be presenting to the select board uh, at their February meetings and probably in parallel uh, uh, presenting to, to, to FinCom. But um, on one, one program note here is that with the new governor, which you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that, that we have you know, Governor Healy, but with the new governor, um, the, a, new year, a new governor is allowed extra time to drop out their proposed budget. So normally we would have received the governor's proposed budget by now, um, but um, the new governor has until March 1st. So that's a, a slight challenge to our process because we have a revenue forecast meeting uh, coming up um, on February 7th, where we talk about um, estimated revenues and vote on the revenues, uh, which then ultimately culminates into setting budget targets for municipal budgets and, uh, and school budgets. So uh, my sense is, is that we'll probably have to be a little fluid if the governor's proposal comes in um, significantly different than what my estimates will be that we'll review on, on the 7th. So that's a, just a nuance to the process. But other than that, the process is, uh, is unfolding um, uh, as, uh, as it has in the past. Another key date I wanted to, to mention here, town council's preference um, is uh, always to get motions uh, by a month before uh, we need to send uh, the, Finance Committee's report uh, to the to the printer. I know that doesn't always happen, but uh, for anything that we have by uh, by March 17th, uh, you know, we want to uh, shuttle those to, to town council to um, in, in fairness to him. But that's just a, a brief snippet uh, uh, update on where we are with the the calendar. And shoot, uh, I apologize. I need to move my. Um, somebody who's uh, who's Zoom proficient, how do I move the menu that's on the top of my screen down to the bottom so I can flip to my next slides? 
Uh, I apologize. Uh, having a hard time getting to, oh, here we go. Drag and drop. All right, very good. So any, any questions on the, on the milestone calendar? Uh, just a note that we will be scheduling at this point weekly meetings on Wednesdays, um, pretty much now going sort of through the budget season. Um, I would ask that um, as we move forward, if at any point you're aware that you won't be able to make a meeting, that you let Ellen know as far in advance so we can always make sure that we continue to have a quorum. Um, that will be important for us. Um, and currently we have a plan to meet on school vacation week, um, I think, but if uh, we were to have multiple members indicate that that is a bad week for them, then we can certainly take a week off. Um, so um, perhaps um, we don't need to kind of go through individual schedules right now, but if you anticipate um, a conflict for that week, if you could let Ellen know. Um, and then we'll see what that looks like. Our backup day, generally, if we're going to need a second meeting in a week, which we have at times needed, um, and I think particularly we could be in a situation when the governor's budget is released that there might be, depending on how that goes, <laughs> there might be uh, shifts that have to happen. Um, our default second night is Mondays, um, based on sort of feedback from the committee members. So, um, so just just to kind of fill in one additional scheduling kind of piece of information for folks so you can be marking your calendars. And um, we plan to continue um, virtually, um, at least currently the um, allowance takes us into March. So we'll continue that um, and stay with a virtual schedule um, at least for the next sort of six weeks or so. Uh, one other uh, program note, uh, the, the select board uh, will be reviewing and I believe voting on the warrant itself, um, you know, doesn't have the motions in it, but the warrant that gets, gets published, I believe they'll be um, reviewing and voting on that uh, at their upcoming meeting on Tuesday the 31st. And assuming that um, they do vote it, uh, uh, our intention is to uh, immediately share that on the first uh, with this committee, uh, so you at least have it. Uh, we, you know, we like, you know, obviously won't be able to uh, cover articles within it, but at least you'll have a sense for what's on it, and we can start um, scheduling uh, the respective folks in on it. Any questions uh, so um, on the schedule or how we move forward? And Maureen, I know it's a lot of stuff, so feel free. If you have a question, probably somebody else has the same question, so don't worry about asking. <laughs> All right, Randy, let's go to the next. Uh... All right, very good. Um, so what you see before you here is um, a, uh, I call it the draft municipal operating budget. Uh, requests and summary. So all the municipal departments um, I have on uh, these three pages, uh, as you, the veteran FinCon members have seen the schedule before. And I call it draft because these are the requests and these are prior to the town administrator and myself sitting down with each department head and reviewing the requests. And we've met with about um, a quarter of the, um, of the departments uh, and we'll finish up our reviews over the, the next uh, seven days. We've got a pretty intensive schedule to do that. And as we complete those reviews, um, 
you know, we will be working with department heads and making uh, adjustments, um, you know, as we go. So you'll see another version of this um, after we've completed those reviews. So hopefully um, I would be sharing uh, an updated uh, schedule um, at either our next meeting next week or at the latest, the, the meeting after that. Uh, but we certainly would be able to start scheduling in um, reviews uh, next week and probably all of the budgets that I have um, uh, because that'll pr probably take up a, a fair amount of time. What you're seeing here is a draft um, to give you a, a sense. And I'm not gonna go through each one in detail, but I wanted to orient you, particularly new member here. Um, so what you've got is the departments, uh, what was the voted budget in 22? Fiscal 22, we're currently in fiscal 23, the voted budget this year. Um, the change that's uh, as it relates to fiscal 24 that's contractually uh, obligated or, or it's you know a permanent adjustment that we know that's been made gets us to our FY24 base budget. And then we have the departmental request. Uh, and then uh, we strike the variance between the departmental request and, and the base budget. Um, and that is uh, a, a focus uh, to see um, you know, what that totals to. And ultimately when we have, when we have the revenue forecast, um, including uh, the school budget, you know, what, what's going to fit. But this just gives you a sense for, for what's coming. So uh, you can see the increases here. Um, executive office, uh, uh, an increase um, related to um, the, an hours increase. Uh, anything I have in yellow here, I have a question when we sit down and do review these that uh, I have questions uh, to have answered. I don't have the answer yet, but I believe something that was moved out of town council line needs to goes up to um, the executive office. But just to give you a sense for the, um, the magnitude of, of, of increases requested and where they are. A lot of contractual adjustments, whether it's a cell phone or, um, or fitness benefit or life insurance, you know, things that are contractually obligated or, or, or new due to settled contracts. That, that's a lot of what you see here, particularly in the finance department. That's what's driving just about all of that. Uh, town clerk's gonna have fewer, a little bit less activity um, this year with elections. So she's coming in with a, a flat budget between the two departments. Um, police department uh, at least requested uh, a substantial increase, um, just under 890,000. Um, but what's in there is uh, a request for four new uh, patrol officers and uh, some increases to overtime. Um, uh, Charlie and I haven't met with uh, Chief Elena yet on this, but um, but we will. And, and so we have a better understanding and uh, and, and be able to refine that number for you. Um, same thing in the, in the fire department, uh, you see a $267,000 increase. Um, the chief, uh, Chief Wendell is uh, requesting a new, uh, new deputy fire chief. I believe that was in last year's request as well. Um, and uh, some contractual salary increases, which at this point I think might be a double count, but when we get into the meeting, that's when I'll be able to determine that. Um, because we've already incorporated uh, all settled contracts into the base budgets. Uh, same comment for, for ambulance. Um, public works, uh, net, net, all of these lines here total down to a requested increase, uh, $119,000, and primarily all of that related to a uh, new heavy equipment operator position. Um, some contractual stipend increases. 
and I believe, uh, I don't want to get ahead of this because we've yet to meet with um, Superintendent Trotter, is that I, I believe uh, we uh, may be proposing adding one or two positions in here, you know, beyond the heavy equipment operator. Uh, one may be to um, add in a director of facilities. Um, so the town administrator has been incredibly proactive uh, in addressing um, the facilities management uh, situation for the municipal buildings. Uh, a lot of, he's making a lot of progress uh, on uh, making that, that happen. Um, and in order to manage it right, to make sure all of our buildings are, are managed properly, uh, the thinking is we may need a, a directive facilities, which is what other uh, communities that manage like this uh, do. Uh, Cindy. And I just want to um, comment, particularly for Maureen's benefit, but for others to just a reminder, we had some discussions about this. I believe it was in the late spring or maybe our summer meeting when we were um, hearing about um, facilities issues at um, the senior center. Uh, I think we are all aware that there were significant um, issues with air conditioning at the library um, and and really had conversations about um, as a finance committee about you know whether or not um, our town would be better served by having somebody who has building management expertise, having oversight of our buildings, um, as opposed to having a library director have to spend her time um, going out and getting bids for HVAC units um, at the same time that we're not able to always respond to the request for additional funding for someone to work at the senior center or someone to work at the library. You know, we may not be able to solve all the problems, but if we could get some tasks off their plate that maybe are uh, better fit somewhere else. And Maureen, I'm thinking you working in the housing arena probably <laughs> can resonate with this, but, um, you know, and really thinking about what the investment is in our buildings um, and considering them as a significant asset that we need to pay attention to. So um, I know I certainly am, I certainly am feel that the importance of um, of that, I think it's something that FinCom, you know, obviously we need to look at the cost, but it was an approach that I think we felt positively about when we last discussed it. Yep, uh, truer, truer words, Cindy. Yes, our, the, the town's buildings are its largest asset. Um, so it, it makes imminent sense uh, for us to be very proactive in managing them. And there's no disrespect to anybody who's been managing uh, these buildings uh, previously, it, it's just not staffed um, adequately to to cover the bandwidth of, of all of the buildings. And uh, again, your uh, Charlie Duty, new town administrator, uh, is really taking the bull by the horns on this one. He sees the value, the risk. Um, so, uh, be a and, and uh, Superintendent Trotter is on board with this. So you'll see um, a proposal come forward on that. It's not currently reflected in this, but I want you to be aware. And in that context, since I'm talking about, in essence, central maintenance, uh, what we will be doing, and we're having these discussions with each department head as we meet with them, is we will be um, harvesting all of the building utility uh, expense lines, budgets, and all of the building repair and maintenance uh, expense lines, that are within different building budgets or the library budget, the police budget, the fire budget, et cetera. And we'll be moving them all over to the central maintenance budget. 
So that's currently not reflected in what you're seeing here. I wanted us to get through our internal review meetings with the departments first, so we have agreement. Utilities is easy, repair and maintenance, uh, there may be a mix of other items in there besides building maintenance. They may have some supplies in there. So we wanna be fair in what we remove. So what you'll see at the end of this process is another column on this sheet, which uh, will sum to zero, which will be moving uh, those uh, building ex expense items uh, from all of the various uh, departments into the building maintenance department, but you'll see it'll be a zero sum uh, when that happens. So that's uh, th that's another aspect of this moving to central maintenance so we can uh, have um, common management of all of the various contracts that go into uh, running a building. Um, the recreation side, uh, biggest item here is um, Recreation Director uh, Tyler, he's looking for uh, increased uh, maintenance staff for the increased properties that uh, he's responsible for. Um, modest increases uh, requested in the committees. Um, assessors uh, actually looking for a, a reduction. Um, but I think it includes uh, moving um, uh, an employee, uh, increasing a, an employee to, to full-time uh, 35 to, to, to 40 hours and uh, they're able to fund that. Uh, within the budget by making some changes. Um, and again, I, please don't think I'm saying this as a fait accompli. These are proposals. These are drafts with you and the select board ultimately to weigh in on this. So I'm just uh, laying it out for you as it's coming to us. Um, uh, planning board, unfortunately, you probably saw it in the paper, they, their advertising requirements uh, uh, are incredible and there's a lot of activity there. Um, things that need to be printed twice um, and uh, there's gonna be a lot more activity in this space. Um, and, uh, but we were able to, we did meet with, um, with the chair of planning board and, uh, and Karen Lawler and, and they're very accommodating. I think we're able to get this down to about a $1,300 increase by looking at other lines um, to make sure that they've got enough on, on the advertising line. Um, health department uh, reduction uh, because uh, we're making use of ARPA funds uh, for um, uh, incremental public health uh, nurse um, that's needed. It doesn't impact the nature of who's permanent and who's not. These are, these are tr truly uh, incremental uh, funds that, uh, that, uh, that Director Reardon has been, been managing. Uh, veterans, again, uh, looking uh, for a, a part-time assistant, a second, second request. Um, libraries, uh, looking for a, a young adult uh, assistant librarian and increases in um, uh, mostly uh, books and, and digital supplies, a few other miscellaneous items. But when I add it all up raw like this, um, it reflects currently a 9.14% increase over the voted budget um, of, of the current year 23. So that 9.14%, uh, that's not um, a percentage struck against the base budget, which includes contractual obligations. It's a percentage struck against the actual voted budget in 23. So it's a true reflected increase. The actual increase uh, of the requests to the base budget is 6.6%. So if you strike a difference between 9.14 and 6.6, basically it's telling you that the contractual obligations, you know, consumed about two and a half percent, which, which uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, Intuitively, but again, I expect that number to um, uh, to uh, to come down for a variety of reasons, and uh, uh, obviously it's not going to be my call. But 
um, you know, with the town administrator and myself, we'll be working to um, make sure the requests, uh, you know, are, are things that the town can afford. This is a quick look at fixed costs. Um, and anything in yellow are things that um, uh, I'm, I'm not certain about yet. The first one is the reserve fund. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, at this point, I'd like to get a recommendation from uh, the Finance Committee, if possible, unless you want to think about it till next week, uh, to see if you want to anniversary uh, the reserve budget of 600000 which is the current budget this year, and it's been the, the that budget for the last couple of years as well. Could you just do a quick minute explanation of what this, the finance reserve is? Absolutely. Um, so it's in essence the contingency uh, for uh, all of the general fund budgets. So we have best laid plans, uh, but uh, like everything, you know, uh, the the expenses that come the t come the town's way uh, aren't 100% predictable. You know, there are variances that happen, uh, many good, as you see in the net results, uh, you know, from last year and, and, and previous years, but some uh, are overages that uh, there's not enough in the appropriated uh, account to fund it. So um, if we're not able to uh, resolve a deficit in a particular department's budget, uh, we come at year end uh, to the finance committee to ask for a vote of funds to transfer uh, from this line uh, to the respective department. And just so you know, uh, my philosophy, which I've been uh, I've carried forward here to Canton, is that um, the departments are very diligent in making me aware of something that they think may be an overage for them when it happens. You know, it's a real-time notification, and I make note of it, and I let them know, uh, okay, I've got it noted. Um, please do your best to manage within your budget. Um, and uh, if, if you need relief at year end, um, you know, we'll present this to the finance committee. Um, and most times what happens is, is they get to year end and uh, uh, the need isn't there uh, for a transfer. You know, they're just being hyper vigilant about, oh, I wasn't anticipating this. But uh, oftentimes it's, it's offset with um, savings and, and other areas. So this is presided over by, uh, by your committee. Um, and it's uh, you know standard practice for a finance committee to ha to have a reserve fund. And the reason you're seeing zeros uh, in the prior years is because um, it's not in this in your budget for spending. It's in your budget for transfer. Um, so if it's not transferred, it drops out uh, to undesignated fund balance, which is free cash. Dan, it looks like uh, you have a question. Yeah, I think Randy, you hit, you answered my question right on the nose. Uh, but I was curious, do you have any history on how much we had to use um, of the past few years? Uh, we've been fortunate um, the last couple of years. Uh, I think we were in the uh, two to four hundred thousand dollar range, um, and uh, I think actually the this number was, I believe. Um, 700,000 when I started, I think in 2020, uh, the committee voted to increase it because of uncertainties with the trash contract and what was happening with recycling. Um, but uh, when we rolled into 21 and I became part of the, the process, I didn't see the need to have a, a reserve at that level, but 600 seemed like a, a reasonable level for the, the size of the, the budget, which is um, on the operating side, it's, you know, this year it's about 109 million. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a reasonable amount to have. Yeah, I agree, yeah. thank you. Sure. Um, 
Blue Hills Regional, you see, I'm still waiting for the assessment uh, there, um, and but I assume the 5% increase, and of course, the state budget um, hasn't been, or the governor's proposal hasn't been released, which usually is very solid. Uh, that's why I keep referring back to it. It's, it's rare that something varies from that. Usually, it's just going to be an assessment, which is down here on this line here, state assessments, uh, Norfolk County tax. Um, usually, like the charter school assessment uh, bounces up and down throughout the process. So that's in yellow because we don't have the, uh, the initial budget. But that's a, a preliminary look, which shows that um, you know at this stage it looks like about a two and a half percent increase in fixed costs, which is a good range. Uh, to be in, particularly for these large items that we're dealing with, uh, retirement, um, uh, health expense, uh, OPEB, insurance, et cetera. Uh, and the last page that I have as a preview are the enterprise accounts. And uh, for uh, new members, um, education, um, the municipal accounting or municipal finance is all driven by funds. It's, it's, a, it's a fund world of accounting, not fund, but fund. So you've got the general fund, which handles everything that we just discussed already. But then you have these other um, proprietary accounts, if you will, that have to self-support themselves. So the water department has to support all of its expenses, its debt service, its capital, um, it's MWRA assessment and all of the uh, salary and expense that goes into the water enterprise that has to be self-sufficient with the user charges that they collect from ratepayers. It's the same with the sewer enterprise and it's the same with the rink enterprise. So we've got three enterprise funds. Um, and uh, what you're seeing here, what's yellow are the, the large MWRA assessments because we have not received um, notification from MWRA about what our assessments are uh, for FY24 yet. And um, so I've, I've kept them static for now. And as soon as we know what they are, we'll immediately update these. Um, they can go up, they can go down, um, and they can move significantly. Um, so that, that's why I just want to make sure everybody's aware that they're wild cards. Um, and Dan, you may be interested in this one. Uh, not that the, other, the rest of the committee isn't, but um, the water revenue line here. Um, so you see in uh, fiscal 21, you know, the revenues that came in were 7.78 million. And then we had a precipitous drop in fiscal 22, um, you know, of about $700,000. Uh, and that's material because those were funds, we were looking for growth here. We were looking for growth of 700,000, not a decrease of 700,000. And so that impacts the water enterprises reserve position, it's undesignated funds balance or retained earnings or free cash. Um, and so uh, the reason for that was, is that we had a very wet uh, summer in that particular fiscal cycle. So uh, irrigation revenues uh, weren't as strong, um, but the FY23 budget, um, you know, continued along its track, um, you know, with the capital spending. Um, and every, every, all the other expenses are, are, are pretty, pretty well set, but the capital spending, the debt service line continued to, to increase. And so what we need in FY23 in order for this to balance out is about a 21% increase in water revenues. That's not gonna happen. Um, we did budget, uh, or we did, the select board voted at the water sewer and rate 
Policy Committee's recommendation, a 6% increase to water rates um, for FY23. Uh, we've yet to meet to discuss FY24, but I think it's gonna be interrelated. Um, the rate discussion and the capital discussion around, um, around the water enterprise. Um, because uh, you know the revenues are really going to need to pick up uh, in order to support uh, what's the expenditures that are happening here. And this debt service that you see uh, in fiscal 24, 3.75 million, um, that's pretty much a lock. We saved a, a few bucks in, in the offering that we just did, but but these are these are bonds that have been issued. You know that that number might this year might be down by about 50 grand or something like that, but. It, it's still still material, and um, so Dan uh, will want to work through all of this as the committee and with uh, Superintendent Trotter uh, to ultimately have an impact on what we think is is affordable from a capital perspective next year. So that's, that's sort of the big highlight out of enterprise. What's going on there? Yeah. What What about the um, MWRA assessment? Given the low usage of water, wouldn't that go down? Well. Um, there's a lot of moving parts on the water side. As you'll recall, uh, we're doing tank maintenance, uh, you know, the new 15 year contract. And so in order to do tank maintenance, that's interior and exterior, um, you've got to drain the tanks. And so if you're draining the tanks, uh, you're leveraging uh, more water from the MWRA. Of course, they're on a lagging basis uh, by about a year and a half on how that impacts your assessment. Um, so, um, so that right now there's upward pressure on uh, the MWRA number. I, I will tell you historically, uh, maintenance aside, um, Superintendent Trotter and, and the water enterprise folks have done a great job um, leveraging the town's water and you know minimizing the reliance on MWRA, but sort of out of their hands um, over the last 12 months with all of the tank maintenance that happens. And, and that's not gonna happen every year. We're going through each tank, each of the five tanks one at a time. And you probably, you won't need to see that happen again, probably for another 15 years. Uh, but, but that's some upward pressure on um, need for MWRA water. So uh, that's all I had on um, just sort of a, a brief preview uh, on, the, on the budgets. And um, if it uh, pleases, uh, the chair and the vice chair and the committee, I'm happy to start to go over all the budgets I'm responsible for at, at the next meeting so we can uh, not lose not lose pace um, in the cycle. Okay, Tim, did you have a question? Yeah, thanks, Cindy. Um, Randy, just because you mentioned the um, finance committee reserve, um, yes. it, it triggered in me, it was bouncing around in my head what the auditor said about the overlay reserve. Mm -hmm. And I was just curious if you, I know he said, you know, they were making a recommendation on that. Is that something that you, you are going to address this, this season, or is it something you were just going to think about for a bit, or I was just curious? Well, no, I, I've, I've thoroughly thought it through and I appreciate, um, you know, Tony's perspective, um, but I've got a different one. Um, if you recall, um, you know, our reserves are comprised of three components. Our free cash or undesignated fund balance, which was 8.9 million certified this year. Um, our stabilization, 
account, our core stabilization, does not include the capital stabilization where we put a million dollars in last year to ultimately help defray uh, the cost of the, uh, the debt on the, on the Galvin School, which is likely going to be a debt excluded project. It doesn't include that. So it's just core stabilization. And that's a 10 million. And um, the, the, the benchmark in your core stabilization is actually 5%. Um, so that's the number you need to stay above in that particular account. So we're double that. And uh, unfortunately, with what happened with the mortgage-backed industry scandal in 2008 is the, the, um, uh, re the reporting regulations around um, you know, government finance changed dramatically. Um, it's it's uh, a change where if you had any use of your core stabilization account, it was a disclosure event. Even if you voted out 100,000 and your plan was to put 100,000 in back next year, um, it can be perceived as, uh, as a weakness. So, and, and, that's, um, and, and that's why you don't see the stabilization account being tapped uh, for anything, unless somebody's uh, a town's like uh, having a, a really hard time financially, because you've got to disclose that, and then you've got a you know sort of a, a mark against you, whether it's perceived or not. Uh, um, so we don't need to put any more into the core stabilization account for quite some time. Our, the town's budgets would need to grow to 200 million, uh, and we're at 109 right now. So that's a ways off. So the third component of the town's reserves is the overlay. So in those ratios that you were looking at, the 20% and the roughly 20 million, that includes the excess overlay reserve. That's in there. Um, and it's in there, you know, uh, conservatively on the accounting statements, but, um, but I've looked at uh, the a reserve for abatements there, and, and, and I trimmed it by a million down to two million. So we've actually got four million in overlay reserve that's contributing to our reserves. So that's a so you have to look at okay, if I if I'm not going to put money uh, reserves into my stabilization, there's only two other places to go: undesignated fund balance or the overlay. Um, so I don't look at, at at that as a bad thing, given the way that, that that's the way this town operates. Is it, it includes all three of those accounts as part of its reserve. And in my conversations uh, with the the good people on the board of assessors, um, they know that you know when the town has a big need, a big ask, say the Galvin School to to buy down the debt on that, I know they're going to be there. You know they, they they're aware. They did it for the um, uh, I think the rink. Uh, they, they committed to that. So it, it's a reserve that, you know, ultimately when it's time to trim that uh, for a big project like that, that's what we'll look to the board of assessors uh, to trim from, from, from that reserve. Uh, but I don't see it as a, as a weakness. It's actually, it's just part of our overall reserve strategy. Okay. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Randy. Sure. Okay, so I think, Randy, what I, if I understand correctly, you're suggesting we defer your discussion about the Finance Committee and Reserve Fund budgets to next week so that we can um, start some conversation about the elect officials' compensation and the work of our subcommittee. Sure. Okay, uh, I see you've got that on your spreadsheet, on your uh, document up there. So um, we will um, move forward with that. And I want to just start by saying that um, our intention today 
is to provide the committee with an overview of the work of the subcommittee and the subcommittee's recommendations. We're not prepared today for public discussion or public comment, um, but rather for us to present the um, committee's uh, work and recommendations and then to give the committee a chance to digest it um, and come back probably next week with this on the agenda again for further um, discussion and to determine what direction the committee actually would, the finance committee would like to go with its recommendation. It is our recommendation should the committee want to move forward with some of the recommendations from our subcommittee that we would then also schedule time in an upcoming meeting and invite um, elected officials to join us for that meeting um, to talk, provide us with some input um, and perspective um, as the finance committee begins to develop its, its recommendation to town meeting. To just set the stage and the context for this, um, I think many of you are aware that there um, that the uh, compensation for elected officials is, a, is set through a motion um, in, in a town meeting article. And currently, um, Randy, would you, can you put that document up for us? Um, currently, there is compensation for the Board of Assessors, the Select Board, and the Board of Health. Um, and it has been raised um, multiple times. Oh, there we go. Multiple times in the past that um, you know why these boards, <laughs> why these amounts, what is the um, you know how did this get determined, and why do the school committee members not get, for example, any kind of compensation? In the past, there have been multiple town meetings where. Um, a motion was made to eliminate all compensation for um, elected officials, and it was very clear that town meeting was not interested in going in that direction. And so um, based on that, our subcommittee basically sort of took that off the table because that is not, you know, we've, we've been there, we've done that, and it wasn't where the town wanted to go. Um, so what we, I think, felt was more of our charge was to really address the inequity. So why some officials, why not others? Um, you know, how, how do the amounts line up? Um, and so what the subcommittee did is we really spent some time um, digging into elected official um, compensation and trying to get a better understanding of it. We made, um, and you can see on the screen here, and I think everyone should have received a copy of this report, which I wanna also say is draft. <laughs> you know, this is the subcommittee's um, work that's really for discussion purposes only. Um, we will need, should the committee choose to move forward with this, we would need to get it reviewed by town council um, in addition to getting input from elected officials. So our committee felt like um, we really needed to address sort of what the current structure was. Um, we talked with um, a number of elected officials, town employees, um, and best we can figure this compensation schedule has been in place for more than 40 years. Um, nobody can quite put their finger on when it started. Um, and the over the years, it's been stated that the schedule was put in place at a time when some boards had little or no staff support and the board had more responsibility for the day-to-day -day work of the board. So if you might be asking like, why did the Board of Assessors get a higher level of compensation, they had more responsibility in the field. Um, they didn't have the office staff, for example, the professional staff that they have now. Now, I, I do think it's important for us to note that this is kind of 
what everybody says <laughs> that is the reason for it, but we couldn't track down any documentation to confirm that. Um, it was that that basis for the current compensation schedule was in uh, the 2012 town meeting warrant, but um, and it was shared with us verbally by people who have heard it over the years. Um, so take it as it is. <laughs> not to say it's not true, but it's just, you know, it, it the um, kind of following the path on this is a little bit complicated. Um, I also want to make sure we note that the work of this committee does not include the, the town clerk's position. While that is an elected office, um, the town clerk is a full-time employee and compensation is addressed under a different motion in the Warren article. And it's also determined by the town administration in accordance with standard practices to ensure that it's fair and equitable. Once we kind of decided that um, our goal here was really to just look at a more equitable approach to um, compensation for elected officials, we decided not to do a review of the typical 12 towns. Um, it was done in 2015. It was all over the map. Um, we, you know, we reviewed that document. There was no consistency from one town to the next. Um, it was probably even less consistent than what Canton currently had. Um, some towns with no compensation, some towns with some compensation. So we chose, we decided that really what our mission was, was to really address, try to look at a more equitable approach for Canton. And we chose not to update the 12 town review. Um, the other um, area that kind of came to our attention had to do with health insurance and benefits. Um, and so in addition to the compensation listed above, the actual sort of stipends, if you will, or payment, um, there was a select board policy that was approved in 2003 that um, set out that certain elected officials who are compensated are eligible for health insurance and may also obtain dental and life insurance upon approval of the select board. And under this policy, the town covers the same portion of the premiums for individual plans that would be covered for any other town employee. So that's 75%. I will tell you that I think um, that was a bit of a surprise to me. I've talked to a few people I know who've been in different offices, not, not select board, but not compensated offices who said, you know, I heard about that, but I wasn't really aware of it. Um, and I won't kind of go through every single detail here because you can sort of read it in terms of um, some of the rules, but um, what we also learned was that while the 2003 policy is silent on access to town benefits for retired elected officials or surviving spouses, a review of documents indicates that compensated elected officials who've served 10 years or more are considered to be, and I use quotes, vested, because I, I think that is a, a formal term and I'm not quite sure it, it's the right term here, but, um, and therefore eligible for retiree health insurance benefits. Um, the subcommittee um, had concerns about whether there was also an implication for potential pension eligibility, and that was clarified through, um, with Randy's assistance through Norfolk County, um, that compensation has to be over $5,000 for it to create any kind of a pension liability. So um, for the most part, there could be a situation where an elected official gets compensated from a public role um, other than their elected role that, and we don't exactly know what the implications of that, but that is a rare occasion. So we kind of set that aside for our discussion. Um, I do think um, we did wanna make note that there is no um, current elected official who's currently receiving health or dental insurance as an elected official. Um, life insurance and retiree health insurance coverage is currently being provided on a limited basis. 
So um, there, you know, I think this is an important issue because if we have any um, desire to expand the number of elected officials who get compensation, we um, probably can't do that without addressing the benefits issue because that is where the substantial liability comes in for the town. And even if we have very few current or retired officials who are currently taking those benefits, it is a liability because they could. Um, and particularly in the case of um, those who might serve for more than 10 years, um, as we just heard from the auditors, um, lifespan is longer and that um, responsibility for retiree health insurance could extend for many years. Um, so just a kind of quick review, um, there is um, sort of health insurance for non-Medicare eligible and health insurance for the Medicare eligible, but we've tried to sort of break this out um, <clears throat> and um, present to you what the costs, and these are the costs per elected official who elects to enroll. And I wanna be clear that we're not saying that we have people, you know, we're not necessarily um, have these costs today because um, we don't have any current elected official, but the co town cost, if an elected official were to take health insurance would be um, a little over $7,600 a year. Uh, dental, less 208, life insurance, $73. Um, and so if an elected official were choose to access all of the available benefits in a year, the cost to the town, if they're non-Medicare eligible, would be close to $8,000. Um, so I, I think as we thought, as the subcommittee talked about, um, looked at compensation, we felt like we could not address compensation without um, also considering the benefit issues here. Um, the story is a little bit different for retired elected officials because of um, the difference in the um, for those who are on Medicare, um, which is generally going to be the case with a retired elected official, but not necessarily guaranteed. Um, and you can see the numbers here. Once again, the town covers 75% of the cost of a medic supplement plan for both. And this is for both the retiree and their spouse. Whereas um, for a current elected official, if they choose a family plan, um, the town, um, the employee, the elected official is responsible for the difference between the individual plan and the family plan. But when we go to retiree, that is not the case. The town also covers 100% of the prescription drug plan. So um, the numbers that um, Randy's sharing on the screen, the first table, um, the town's responsibility for per retiree enrolled in Medex and the and the prescription drug plan is just about $5,000. Um, should the retiree have a spouse enrolled as well, we're up to almost um, $10,000 a year. Um, should the retiree and spouse not be eligible for Medicare, which is, is gonna be less of a case, but the costs are significant. Um, well, you can see here what those costs would look like on the left-hand side for the retiree and on the right-hand side um, for family plan. Um, for if should they choose to cover a spouse or the other um, element is should a um, should a retiree have a uh, disabled uh, dependent, um, then there is also the potential for that person to be included under a family plan. So I'm going to stop right there and just kind of take a pause because I think I've given out a lot of information and I also want to acknowledge Dave and Emilio 
um, are the other two subcommittee members who have done, um, you know, we met a number of times, really tried to digest a lot of material and, um, I, you know, just want to acknowledge all of the work that, um, you know, kind of Dave and, and Emilio have done. So before we jump into maybe our recommendations, I just want to pause and see if there's any questions, comments um, before we, we go further. No, then we'll jump into recommendations. <laughs> Can you bring the screen back up, uh, Dan? Yeah, just curious, um, in terms of compensation and benefits, how much are we paying for um, elected officials salary and benefits currently? I don't know if we know that, but I'm just curious. When you look at the benefits, they seem a lot more than the, the compensation which is what we had been talking about. It is, and it's currently, um, you know, what we don't want to do is get into specific numbers here because it gets a little too easy to start to speculate, you know, who might be those three retire, and I'm throwing a number out, I'm not saying that's the number, yeah. um, who might be those three retirees who are getting, in you know, we, we want to be careful. It's a small town. We're, on some level, we're a small town, and we want to respect people's privacy. Um but I don't know, Randy, if you know what those numbers are. I, I'm guessing we have a ballpark. Um, the, I mean, we know what the what what the compensation is because that's in the right. that's in the schedule and that gets voted on. Um, but as far as the benefits cost, um, as the chair has said, uh, you know, there's no elected official currently receiving the benefits. It's just um, maybe one or two. Uh, retired elected officials um, who uh, are eligible for uh, the help help benefits. So it's um, it's nominal at this point. Okay. And I think where our committee's focus is more on, particularly if we were to expand who gets compensated, um, you know, in terms of elected officials under current policy that has the potential to expand the um, liability that we would have in terms of. Uh, benefit costs. So, so it, it, the two issues really, aside from how one might feel about, you know, the current compensation plan for current elected officials and retirees, as we move forward, we need to really think about this comprehensively. So, um, you know, I think that our our committee um, clearly recognizes the significant commitment and contributions of all elected officials. Um, and we also acknowledge that when you're an elected official, you have out-of-pocket expenses related to the role, the things that nobody ever thinks about, the retirement gatherings you go to, the fundraisers you go to that you probably wouldn't have gone to if you weren't on the school committee or the board of trustees for the library. You know, there are a range of different um, kinds of out-of-pocket related expenses related to their role. Um, and so we want to acknowledge that. Um, our recommendation as a committee was that we create a compensation schedule that is modified to include all elected officials um, and that the committee recommends, whoop, go back for a second, um, that the stipend levels um, be nominal um, and not considered as compensation for substantial time commitments. Um, they really are a token, if you will. Um, and I think um, when I say nominal, we didn't decide on or recommend any numbers yet, but we would not expect anything to go any higher than the current compensation schedule. So, um, but that there might be some added to that schedule. 
We suggested that the compensation be structured in a manner that it no longer leads to, to vesting after 10 years of service in order to eliminate any future pension and retiree health insurance liability for the town. Um, and that the current policy be rescinded and eligibility for insurance benefits for compensated elected official be eliminated on a permanent basis. That said, we also felt it was very strong, very important to have a grandfathering provision, um, both for um, those current officials and retirees who are receiving benefits. We certainly want to do no harm um, and have any negative impact and that we would want to have further discussion with the committee about how grandfathering would apply to current elected officials who don't currently access benefits, but may be eligible for them now or in the future under current policy. Um, so once again, you know, we really want to do no harm. If somebody has been in elected office and compensated for 12 years and maybe isn't taking any um, health insurance through the town, but in the back of their mind, they was like, when I retire, I'm going to have this option for me. We we don't, you know, this is not, this is intended to be a forward-looking plan, and um, we do not want to do harm for current, current folks. Um, the proposal um, that we've talked about was setting a tiered compensation with either two or three tiers, and, and we felt like that decision might be made after getting listening a little more to folks um, in different elected roles about time commitments and uh, complexity of their roles. Some of the criteria we felt could be considered but not be limited to were the number of meetings required to carry out the work of the board or committee, including site visits or similar activities like planning board, right? Sometimes they have to go out and physically see something. Um, number of other boards and committee um, and committees, members, and elected board are required to serve on. I know certainly the school committee seems to end up with somebody having to represent them on, you know, every, so many different committees. Uh, select board has a similar situation, you know, traffic committee, uh, you know, multiple committees. Um, the level of community engagement required, um, noting that, you know, and I'm going to kind of call out the select board here, you know, you need to be there at the 9-11 ceremony and you need to be represented uh, at the um, the event that the uh, the uh, our new Department of Elder and Human Services has at the holidays. You know, there's a lot of community engagement in certain roles and, and needing to take that into consideration. Um, the number of board slash committee members in relationship to the work required. So, um, you know, if you have a board of nine, like you do with the library trustees, and then you think about the work and how it, you know, that, that there's sort of differing levels of responsibility. Um, the size of the budget the elected board is responsible for, the nature and complexity of the work performed. So a uh, planning board, for example, may not have a big budget, um, may not have a big staff, but the work is complicated um, and has to be, you know, there's a, a significant technical component. And then something also about the level of staff provided to execute the daily work of the board and the committee. None of these considerations are, tended, are intended to be, um, you know, we're gonna do detailed counts. They're intended to be sort of guiding um, considerations that help us possibly think about, you know, how different committees and boards might fall into two or three tiers. Um, and so 
I think that you know today we're presenting the report to the Finance Committee. Um, I think our these steps are probably a little out of order here. Our next, um, you know, I think what we'll want to do is really review and process this with the Finance Committee, figure out whether this is the way our committee wants to go and move forward. Um, if so, we would then consult with town council to ensure that nothing that we're recommending is out of compliance with the applicable laws and regulations. And we would also want to solicit input from current elected officials at a current at an upcoming finance committee. Um, and then should the committee decide to move forward, we would need to finalize the tiers and the stipend levels, assess the financial impact and where the budget responsibility would fall and then prepare a finance committee uh, motion for the annual town meeting. So I've done a lot of talking. Um, I, I think that our committee has done a pretty good job of digging into this issue because it's one we've talked about wrestling with for many years on the finance committee. Um, and I, I think that we now have a kind of a potential game plan for the finance committee to consider and, and move forward or to decide to stay with the status quo. And if we decide to stay with the status quo, it won't be because we didn't do our homework or figure out you know, what the other options might be. So Emilio and Dave, I, I've kind of talked it all through. I wonder if you wanna add anything, if I missed anything here that's important um, before we jump into any discussion from the uh, rest of the FinCon members. Well, uh, I'm, thanks Cindy for um, leading the effort on that, uh, our subcommittee and for all of the work you did to put together our report uh, as well. Um, I do, and I do think that um, that pretty much encapsulated the feelings of the subcommittee, at least in, in my view. And um, I think the other thing is to um, to determine how we have, if we do proceed with those uh, items, how some of those things are in that article for compensation, and some are beyond it. Similar to the referring in part to, for instance, the two thousand three select board policy. So we may also have to work or liaison with some other bodies in town to see how to make that uh, a permanent structure, assuming that finance committee eventually, you know, supports that recommendation and we get our feedback from the affected committees and, uh, you know, going forward as we approach town meeting. It's important for us to remember that the benefits piece of this is select board policy. Um, and so we would need to work with the select board on that and certainly want their you know, input and support, whereas the actual compensation of the elected officials in terms of a stipend is uh, you know, a town meeting warrant issue. Dave, any other comment? Did, did I miss anything important? Did other perspectives on this? Thank, thank you, Cindy. That was a a great presentation and thank you for putting all that together. And I, one thing I just really want to reiterate is we're not going to take away, you know, current elected officials, health insurance, and we just want to make this equitable for, you know, all the elected officials, not just some of them. So, you know, I look forward to future discussions with the, the FinCom about this and potentially some of the other elected officials, but yeah, thank you again for going over that um, that report. If we've got questions or comments, Ruki? 
So I remember years ago hearing that some boards were compensated um, so that they would have better uh, coverage for liability reasons. Was that ever um, brought up in your investigation? I'm going to turn this to Randy. Sure. Uh, my understanding is that any employee, and that's defined as a paid employee or a, a volunteer official such as yourself or elected officials, um, is covered under Mass General Law under the for tort liability. You know, for, for what you're talking about. So um, that's never gone away, and that's always going to be there for quote all of us who fall under the public employee um, name, which includes Regardless everybody. of whether you're compensated or not. Correct. So I'm really thrilled with the work that this subcommittee has done because I do think that the inequities have been skimmed over year after year at town hall because it's a, a big undertaking to investigate how it got to where it is right now and to see if there's any way to um, level the playing field. I'm, I, I think the work that you've done is fantastic and I would encourage that we adopt your recommendations and continue this hard work in a timely fashion so that if we decide to make a recommendation, we could have it ready for the warrant. I found myself particularly concerned about two things. One is the inequity and resolving that, but secondly, the retiree health insurance liability, um, even mm. if even if one employee takes that, but they use it for 25 years, that's that's a not an expense. significant expense. Um, and you know, we just saw what our OPEB liability, and I realize one person is a minor, like kind of a drop in the bucket, <laughs> um, but it all does add up. And um, I think that 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 was certainly an eye opener for me. That was not something that I was aware of having been around, you know, town government actually for a while. So yeah. I, that that kind of raised a red flag for me because it also, you know, we don't know what the insurance, health insurance world will look like five mm -hmm. years from now, 10 years from now, you know, um, and so really thinking about what the responsibilities, the liabilities that the town is creating for itself. Other comments, reactions, feedback? Great job pulling that all together. A lot of hard work there. And so I guess I, you know, Rookie's sort of like, let's move forward. And I guess the question would be whether others on the committee feel that way. I don't think we're at a stage where we need to take a vote. I think we would want to get consensus of the committee that if this is an approach that we want to take, then um, you know, next step we can get a review with town council to make sure we're not going down a path we shouldn't go down. There's, there's something regulatory. Um, and I think we'd want to invite elected officials to come join us and speak to us at a meeting to talk about um, you know, their thoughts on some of this. We can also in the interim do some modeling with what some, um, I have to say, I have my own little spreadsheet that I kind of played with just to see what things would look like. Um, because I do think as a finance committee, we want to understand if we were to broaden out the um, eligibility for compensation, what that um, what that increased cost would be, um, and then consider it if you know if we at the same time eliminate future obligations for benefits, 
um, I think that there will be a potential reasonable offset there. So, but I think we can maybe model that out and have a couple of options to share with the with the committee, perhaps at the next meeting. I would be, I would like that very much. I would be in favor of you making, moving forward in that way. I know it's a lot of work for the three of you and I appreciate that. Going forward, it's gonna be a lot of work for all of us. <laughs> so I think we're kind of feeling like our subcommittee has made our report and now we, you know, um, is there anyone who's got concerns about moving, continuing to move forward with this? Reservations, anything, you you know, any reason we shouldn't move forward? I wanna make sure that it truly is the consensus of the committee. Hey, Cindy, this is Tim. I don't have any reservations or any concerns, but, um, you know, again, great, great job. And, you know, I did read over the document and, and hearing it tonight. And I guess I guess I was just thinking, you know, I, I might want to just mull it a little bit to like the next meeting or something, but but nothing, you know, no like red flags or problems. But I think just maybe let it sink in a little bit and and. Um, you know, see if any questions pop up ahead of like the next meeting. So given what it feels like consensus from the committee, it sounds, I mean, I know where Dave and Emilio stand. <laughs> um, it sounds like we should proceed with getting some um, advisement from town council. Um, and then maybe also Randy, I can work with you and Ellen to look ahead at the schedule a little bit and um, look at a, a potential time for us to open up to um, welcome some elected officials to come in and talk to us a little bit about, you know, what they think about the approach that we're talking about. And that would include both currently compensated, but also those who are not. Um, one of the things that we did talk about, and I will say that this issue came up when I was on the school committee, and I can remember saying, wait a minute, I don't need to get paid. That's not what I did that signed up for this for. I think one of the things we did talk a little bit about is that policy isn't made based on the preference of individual people. You know, policy is made based on what we think is the right direction for the town, um, and that we want to we have a we want to think about equity. Um, if any town official, any elected official wants to decline their stipend, they absolutely can do that. Um, and so, you know, there's no obligation should a, a, an elected official say, I, I don't want anything, then they don't take it. They can just decline it. Um, but I think we feel like that that we need to take a stand in terms of valuing, you know, um, and having equity across our, our elected officials. So what I'd like to propose then is um, just that we'll follow up with town council, um, we'll work on the schedule to open up to some elected officials, um, and maybe, you know, I have to think a little bit about when the right time is to start doing some modeling, because I don't know that we necessarily want to get, I think we want to bring our elected officials in to comment on the, on the principles and the key focus, but not get into a you know, should it should this be 750 or a thousand? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that after we hear from elected officials and we also get a better sense of, you know, their roles and responsibilities and how they see those, then we'll be in a better position to think about the tiers and then perhaps look at some modeling in terms of compensation level. All right. It sounds like we have a game plan then. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much to Emilio and Dave for the, your persistence and work on this. Um, I think we have a good good plan to move forward. So um, I know we did have um, potentially minutes to approve um, for September 19th. 
um, as our next agenda item. Um, actually, I skipped, sorry. Thank you, Randy, for putting that up. Um, everyone should have received a um, Finance Committee liaison list and we're not gonna go over it tonight, but I just want you to take a look at it and at our next meeting, we'll wanna update the list. And Maureen, for your reference, um, the uh, liaison list is a, kind of an informal role in terms of being the liaison point person for each of these different departments and groups um, in terms of checking in with them. Um, you know, obviously Randy and um, Charlie Duty are doing the, the heavy lifting here in terms of, um, you know, really reviewing with department heads, their budgets, but this is also just an opportunity to check in to perhaps get some more information about any pressing issues. Um, it, it's a pretty informal role. Um, so we'll want to update that um, with Tom leaving. We have a couple of spots and then it, typically every year um, they shift a little bit. So um, we'll put that on the agenda for next for our next meeting. Um, so from there, I want to see if we could do a um, uh, approval of the Finance Committee meetings for the meeting dated September 19th, 2022. Are all members ready to vote? Yeah. Um, so do I have a motion? the minutes for September 19th of 2022. Um, I move that the Finance Committee accept the uh, Finance Committee minutes from September 19, 2022 as written. Second. Um, Randy, do you want to call the roll call? Yes, Madam Chair. Um, rookie. Oh. So I'm worried. I can't find the minutes and I'm not sure I was at that meeting. Do you want to abstain? I'll abstain. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, Tim. Aye. Karen. Aye. Dan. Aye. Dave. Aye. Emilio. Aye. And Cindy. Aye. And Maureen. Well, and I don't think she was there. I wasn't so she, there. Would she would abstain, right? Yeah, I'd abstain. I'm sorry. Thank you, Cindy. Yes, okay. abstain. <laughs> I do believe that Randy did indicate to us at a previous meeting that even if you're not at the meeting, you can still approve the minutes, but we certainly understand oftentimes it's people's preference to abstain. So that's your choice. Um, but certainly, you know, Maureen, I can understand you're not on the, weren't on the committee that time. Right. Uh, so um, for right. the next item Most is the 602 for Ellen. Ellen, oh, 602. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I would like to hold on the subcommittee minutes until next week, if that's okay with the subcommittee members. Um, I didn't have a chance to read them over yet. So, um, and with that, our next meeting is scheduled for Wednesday, Fe February 1st at seven o'clock. Um, any other we'll business? Work with you. We'll work with you on the on the agenda, Cindy. Sounds good. Any any other business? Then do we have a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. Those seconds always come fast to adjourn. <laughs> <laughs> Want to run the roll call for us again, Randy? <laughs> sure thing. I'm going to go out of order. Maureen, I'm coming to you first. Maureen. <laughs> I heard. I saw. I. Karen. Hi. Hi, Cindy. Hi. Dan. Aye. Dave. Aye. Rookie. Aye. Emilio. Aye. And Tim. Aye, aye. 
<laughs> yeah, you are adjourned. Thanks for a great opening season for a 2023 FinCom series. Good night. Good night. Great. Good night. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good Thank evening. You, you too. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night.